promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Holy Gospel for this ninth Sunday after Trinity comes from St. Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning at the 41st verse. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there, and he said, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. We like peace, right? Peace is a good thing. I would kind of say, though, that I don't know if we know what peace actually is. But uh, 77 years ago this month, we commemorate a particular happening that brought peace that was not exactly very peaceful, if you can remember, 1945 in Japan. Dropping of a couple of atomic bombs to bring the end to a war. What came out of that was a gentleman, Masahisa Goy, in, in Japan in 1955, he desired peace around the world. And so he started this movement with peace polls. Maybe some of you have seen these peace polls in different cities around the world. It started in Japan and spread from there. They, they would say, may peace prevail on earth. And, and now you can go to a bunch of different cities and you see it written in many different languages in those places. And, and it's this, this notion of him and for us, we're begging for peace. We're willing to cling to anything in hopes that, that we have peace that we have harmony, that life goes well for us, that nothing gets in the way of how, how we might be able to, to live somewhat easily. But it's interesting that you go to some place like Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis, Chicago, L.A., and you'll have these places that have these peace poles, but then also like 100 feet away, someone just got shot last night. As though those peace poles are going to do something, but not really. A monument to peace, but does it really bring that for you, for the city, for the people? We want peace. We don't want fighting. We don't want suffering. Uh, we want our children to be safe. We don't want them uh, uh, getting shot at school, which is an important thing. We don't, we don't want ourselves running into problems on the way to the grocery store. For, but for the majority of us in this room today, those are not really major concerns in our lives, are they? 
losing peace in that way. And so let's, let's tweak this understanding of peace here just for a moment in, in, a, in a little bit of a different way, in another way of life that I think might hit for some of you. Okay, so pretend, and for some of you this won't be hard, pretend that you have a lemon of a car, right? A really bad car that, say, breaks down somewhere between Prim and, and Baker all the time. Like it's a guarantee. This mile marker, something will go wrong. Right? When I, when I've driven that road on 15 so many times and you see people broken down, you just kind of go, God be with you. And you keep going, usually, because you're just like, there's nothing. Um, and so you finally get the money together and you get a new car. Has that smell, right? Has the leather seats that burn the back of your legs in Ridgecrest. Right? But then two months later, something happens. As it always does in Ridgecrest, someone decides that a red light is optional and you get T-boned in your new car. You were thinking, oh, I've got peace now. It's not going to break down on 15, uh, but now it's totaled. Where did that peace go? Or for some of you in the room who are not retired yet, you're planning on retirement, right? You're talking with financial planners. You're thinking about it. Okay, so many years from this date, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then you get your retirement statement like I've gotten every month this year and you lost 27%. Right? Are those teenagers here? You think, all right, I'm going to move out soon. I'm going to have freedom, peace. Parents not standing over me all the time, telling me what to do and all this stuff. But then you discover, wait, I have to get a job. I have to go to school and do work. It actually matters this time to learn something. I have to, oh, pay taxes. FICA wants her money. I have to feed myself, maybe other people. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get a day off. Where'd that piece that I thought I was going to have go? And those of you that are retired, Saturday every day, right? Right? Until you, until you realize, wait, mom has medical bills. My kids need help with their college debt. The house needs a new roof. The dog died. Where'd the peace that you thought you had go? Peace. We want peace. We think we're going to find it in certain ways. We'll seek it out in any way that we can and we'll cling to it. But it's too bad that life and death and the world get in the way. Am I right? That's a struggle that we find actually with the people of God here in both our Jeremiah reading and then, then in, our, in our gospel reading. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah is continuously preaching and it's only chapter 7 about how if they don't turn to God... Well, Babylon is knocking at the door, just waiting, biding their time. And Jeremiah keeps saying, amend your ways or things are not going to go well for you. And what's the response of the people? It can't happen here. This is the temple of the Lord. The Lord said, oh, my glory is going to dwell here. Things are going to go. God would never do this to his house. He wouldn't burn down unless he needs his insurance money. He'd never burn down his own house. And Jeremiah has to sit here and go, um, no, that's not how this works. Because they might have liked the temple of the Lord, but they had no love for the Lord. The word of God meant nothing. Love for neighbor meant nothing. Caring for one another meant nothing. There was a lack of love. If anything, the temple was just some sort of monument to their own specialness, somehow a monument to their own piety. 
It's fitting then that this gets paired with with a portion of Luke's discussion of Palm Sunday. That's where this text in 19 comes from. Jesus is already on the donkey. He's already making his way down to Jerusalem. People are already shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know that story, right? And the waving of the palm branches and the the jackets on the ground and, and, and all these things. And you would expect that Jesus would be coming crowd surfing, right? Joining in the chants, joining in the singing, joining in the good times. But what does he do as he's coming down the mountain? What does our reading say he does? Is he singing and happy? No. He weeps. Why does he weep? He weeps because he thinks of all the sermons, all the teaching that he's done in person, all the miracles, the feedings, the the raising people from the dead, the healings, and it's meant nothing. Even his own disciples know nothing. To the point that he's doing this and the leaders are wanting to kill him. He weeps over that. He weeps over a people who have no clue what peace is. In some way, they actually thought that peace came with the Roman Empire, and that was kind of true. Rome was the superpower. If there was some sort of revolt, they showed up, quashed it, everything went back to normal. The the Jews actually had some freedom to, to live out their lives in a way, to perform their religion, to gather in a particular way. Uh, there, there was seen in that some freedom, some safety, especially some power and position for the leadership. At one point, the leaders say, well, we need to kill Jesus or else Rome is going to come and take our position of authority away. They saw peace in that. And so Jesus weeps over that. He weeps over a people that are, that are seeking uh, peace in places that fade, that dry up, that can be torn down. Because even in that day, people were saying, no, the temple could never be destroyed. God is with us. The city of Jerusalem could never be destroyed again. God is with us. And he's sitting here saying, no, you're finding peace in cities and temples, church buildings, houses, titles, things that can be wiped out. And Jesus is weeping because he's saying, you don't get it yet. You didn't get it in Jeremiah, and you're not getting it today. He weeps because he knows that the only peace that is going to come is the peace of the cross. Through all this work, he knows that in a few days from this ride on a donkey, it's going to be the cross to bring peace. It's right around the corner that the cross is going to come and hopefully put our fears to death. But we rarely seek that, do we, church? Because something comes, causes us to fear, and then we try to find peace somewhere else. How often is this us, church? How often is it that we try and find peace in the stock market? Find peace in our jobs, find peace in our retirement, our homes, our families, our education, some perceived future that we think is going to be, but more than likely is not. All those things can be lost. All those things can fade. All those things can turn out not the way that we thought that they were supposed to turn out. And so this is why, actually, when I was reading our gospel text, this one verse kept jumping out at me, verse 42. If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. 
If you, even you, he says. The Greek, in a way, is basically Jesus pointing a finger. He's saying, you, yes, you. I'm not talking about anyone else. I'm talking about you. And in a way, yes, he's speaking to the people of Jerusalem, especially the Pharisees, especially the leadership, the scribes, saying, yes, even you right now, those of you who want to kill me, if you would just recognize who I am, and peace would come to you. But at the same way, church, we want the book to speak to us. And here this morning, Christ is speaking to you. You, even you, sitting in the pews this morning, in your despair, in your fear, in your heartache, in your pain, in your pride, he's saying, you, even you, I'm for you. Right now, I'm for you. You, even you. The word for peace in the Greek, Irini, uh, in, in, in Hebrew, would be shalom. Most of us know this word. It, it can mean uh, uh, an absence of violence, but it doesn't really mean that at all. There's a sense of harmony in it. There's a sense of order out of chaos. But to take it to the proper level, it's about peace with the Almighty. It's about a peace that you cannot tabulate for yourself. If you, even you, had only recognized. This is another one of those Greek words that, that translated here in the NRSV, recognize, it's the word to know. It's one of the most popular verbs in the New Testament. It happens quite regularly, to know. But it doesn't mean to know information, although it can mean that. It doesn't mean, well, I've got this knowledge in my head, so I can, I can win the game fact or crap at the, at the tap room knowing all sorts of useless things. I'm good at that. I was a history major. I've got all sorts of useless information in my head. I can't remember my wife's favorite color, but I can remember all sorts of other things. Um, I'm sorry, pray for me. Um, but the word actually means to know something to be real or true. Not just that it's knowledged, but have it actually mean something to you. Something real or true. He weeps over the people there and by extension us because he knows that in the bondage of our sin and in, in our sinful will, we will never choose him on our own. We will choose ourselves and our own security every time. He weeps because he knows that what he must do is make peace for you on your behalf through his own death on the cross, to kill your sin, to kill your death, that you might have hope and peace in him, to make a new you out of the old frightful you. If you, even you, had only recognized on this day, I always love that phrase, on this day. It says, not tomorrow, not yesterday, right now, today. Church, it's always today in Jesus. It always is. It's never tomorrow, it's never yesterday, it's always today, right now. Because if you wait till tomorrow, something else will come up, right? Tomorrow has its own worries of its own. But today, right now, Jesus says, I'm here. Know me. Jesus weeps because he knows, for instance, that these cries, as we said, of Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord are going to turn into crucify him in just a few days, just a couple of chapters away in Luke. That's the direction it's going to go. 
And for us, too, we can, we can come to church and we hear Pastor Chris preside over communion this morning and we sing those words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then something can happen tomorrow that we forget that and the promise of Christ that comes to us in bread and wine is salvation for souls and forgiveness of sins. And that's why he says today, right now on this day. He, he weeps over us in part because he always has compassion for his people and he always longs for the salvation of his people, meaning you. His first sermon was all about that. Mark chapter 1. You should know it. It's a very short sermon. Lutherans should like that. It's one sentence. Repent and believe the gospel. That's it. Mic drop. Everybody go home, Cracker Barrel. Let's go. Repent and believe. Turn and trust. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from all these desires for peace everywhere else. And trust in Christ that peace will be there, even when it seems like it won't be. Uh, Carrie and I had the privilege of going on our first vacation since COVID started. Those of you who are keeping track at home, that's March 2020. That's the blessing of being married to a nurse. Uh, she was an infection control nurse when COVID started. Do you think she got vacation in Minnesota? That would be a new. Uh, plus, having children in school makes it hard to take vacation when you want to. So you try and take it during the summer, but yeah, that doesn't happen. So we got our first like real vacation, not just like a weekend at my dad's, like a real vacation. We went on a cruise to Alaska with my mom and my stepdad, and it was awesome. It was great, and it was relaxing, although it was kind of weird because it was a small boat with like 700 people, and there were only like 12 of us under the age of 50. So it was it was a little weird, but that's okay. Um. But you want to know what's interesting? We went on that vacation, and then we came back. And you know what was waiting for us? Bills. The same issues that we had, the same struggles that kids had, were still there. The same struggles that we were having, were still there. Cats that puke in the middle of the night, still there. Right? It was a time to breathe and enjoy time together and all these things, but that stuff was still there. Well, while we were on this, on this vacation, uh, uh, two doors down from us on our deck, two cabins down, was this couple who um, looked absolutely normal. And when I say that, I'm not saying like they should look abnormal. They, they were in their 70s. They dressed like my parents, you know, whatever that means. Um, although he wore a suit to dinner every night, which was kind of interesting. Had this business feel about him. Uh, but they were staying in the same type of cabin as Carrie and I were staying. And then they went on a uh, excursion with my parents, and you come to find out that this man is worth $600 million. He had owned a semiconductor company in Arizona, and he sold it, and now he and his wife are worth $600 million. And you know what was interesting? I'm sitting there in one of the lounges after I learned all this information, and I'm thinking about this. He's worth $600 million, and Carrie and I experienced the same things he did. Same things he did. He ate in the same restaurants on the ship. He didn't get special treatment that way. Had the same food, got to drink the same drinks, had the same entertainment, got the chance to go on the same excursions, staying in the same stateroom, type of stateroom. That $600 million didn't do much for him. And then I'm sitting in that lounge surrounded by folk. It's near the end of the cruise and people are snoring in seats because they're tired because you know sometimes we go on those vacations that we need a vacation from the vacation when we get back, right? There's coughs all around me, this cacophony of coughs, because, you know, a lot of 
you know, COVID. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking about this going, well, that $600 million, he still has to sleep. That $600 million doesn't keep him from getting tired. That $600 million won't protect him from getting COVID if he got it. That $600 million won't keep him from getting hungry, getting thirsty, needing a vacation. And then I thought about it. If you know he was in his late 70s, he will never live long enough to spend all that money. So what does he have to do with it? He's got to figure out how he's going to disperse it when he's gone. And then that's going to cause a whole host of lack of peace, right? Because some child might think they deserve more. And then God forbid he gives it all away to charity. Talk about lack of peace in that family after he's gone. It's stuff, right? Things, even money. It's paper with guys' faces on it, right? Stuff, things. In the reality, church, meaningless, pointless, other than the fact that it's some sort of thing that we use to trade for something else. It may give you a shadow of security or importance, but the reality is, is that when it comes down to your deathbed, $600 million will not resurrect you, right? Beloved, what's your Jerusalem this morning? What's your temple What's your thing, that this idol that you've constructed, that you're trusting in, that you're like, oh, if I just had more of this in my life, things would be better. That there would be more peace in my life. Is it, is it money? Is it work? Is it your reputation? Is it what you do in retirement? Is it your hobbies? Is it that RV that you've always been wanting to have? Is it children? Is it grandchildren? All those things can be lost. All those things can get broken. All of those things can go away. In fact, Jesus makes it really plain to the people of Jerusalem that Jerusalem is going to go away, right? In the middle of our whole passage, he says, it's going to be surrounded, it's going to get destroyed, and it's going to get burned. And that doesn't sound like good news, destruction and loss, but actually, in Jesus, it's very good news because it's Jesus' favorite pastime to find those things that get in the way of him and destroy them so all that you have left is him. And that's it. Church, peace is not something we can construct. It's not something that we can build by putting some little peace pole in our yard or, or whatever the case may be. But true peace comes from the knowledge that Jesus Christ has made all things new. And that in him, borrowing words from Julian of Norwich, all things will be well, all manner of things, she said. Even when it looks like everything is not going that way, Even when it looks like there is zero peace in Christ, all things will be well. The goal of life is to have Jesus come to you, to steal your idols, to steal your Jerusalem, to steal your temple, to steal all those things, your comforts, your pride, and then just give you himself so that when all those things are gone and all those things fade, And all that stuff that we had our false assurance in that fails us, and then we try again and it fails, try again and fails, we come to realize finally, maybe one day, Jesus never fails. The one who today, this day, is actually handing you the thing that makes for peace, which is himself. 
so that all things will be well with you, all manner of things. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us speak.